This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Happy Tuesday evening to you here on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is Seattle Sports at Night. It's a late one. Myself, Curtis Rogers, joined by Seahawks insider Stacy Rost for the next hour here. Stacy, Hey. You were getting in some deep Game of Thrones talk with me. Uh, someone who doesn't, someone who doesn't the watch the show, and yet you, you I still. Talked, <laughs> just a peek behind the curtain. I talked for about four minutes straight. <laughs> and, and then Curtis just goes, well, we're about to go live. You're yeah, ready? Like, uh, all right, here we, here go. we go. Yeah, here's the intro. And, uh, yep. But no transition. No, exactly. We are live here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Thank you so much for joining us here this evening. If you've got anything to get off your chest, the Coors Light text line, always there for you, 710-710. We're, what, 48 hours removed from the NFL draft. Actually, 72 because it was Saturday. It's Tuesday today, right? Like, Like I'm really not the one. No? (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Our time, my mental clock gets so so thrown off. Yeah, doing this show in particular, I don't know why it is. Because my Monday is today, which is Tuesday. My Sunday is everyone else's Monday, which there is still a show. Yes, and the draft was super weird. Yeah, all of us were there for the draft, and so it just felt like we didn't get a weekend. And now we're just kind of like, what time is it? Who am I? What year is it? Where am I? And now we're just, and the always existential why? Am yeah, I? why? <laughs> why are we here? What are we doing? What even is this? Turns but, out we're here to talk about Seattle yeah, sports. That's that's why we've been it's placed on this earth. Yes, in one hour and two hour chunks, late at night. That is our purpose. Here. Some people lead countries. Some people cure diseases. Cure diseases, and some people t- talk about the Mariners. And that's probably what we're going to do at some point tonight. Making roster moves today. One very much involving their starting center fielder or, or maybe former starting center fielder, mm-hmm. depending on how this shakes out. But uh, another couple of roster moves around Seattle. I mean, let's let's not waste any more time. How about it? Let's get into what is on the Tuesday night timeline. Seahawks, now with the draft in the rearview mirror, how are they going to fill out the remainder of this roster? Well, that compensatory pick deadline on May 8th, it's coming up. We're what? Less, we're a little a more than a week, away. yeah, we're a little yeah. more than a week away from that deadline. So we're going to start to see that second wave of free agency begin, and there are a lot of names tied to the Seahawks organization right now, mostly on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Ziggy Ansah, who came in for a visit, according to Adam Schefter, and Dominican Sue is also out there. Nick Perry, yep, Shane Ray, a couple other names as well. I think Connor Barwin. I don't yeah. know if he was tied to Seattle, but I know he was mentioned. By Connor Kate. Barwin, an interesting case because I believe he Danny retired. Shelton. Yeah, Danny Shelton. That on was the, the other one. Yeah. Uh, Barwin, I believe, before last season retired late in the year, or retired before the season started, and then came out of retirement late in the season, huh. which was a, a very weird move. But you look at the the candidates that the Seahawks have been tied to or mentioned with, and now you look at the all, the added cap space in dealing Frank Clark. And who knows what that'll be with Doug Baldwin's future as well. Camp Chancellor's going to come off the book soon. So all of a sudden, the Seahawks go from this portion of their offseason where they were kind of handcuffed in what they were able to do. Now, they've got a ton of freedom. Not only can they go out and sign some free agents, 
They can also take care of their own and Bobby Wagner mm-hmm. and Jaron Reed, a very enviable spot for them to be in. Yeah, no, and I think that it helps. I think uh, one of the number one complaints we saw coming out of the draft, whether it was uh, on our draft lounge video, on, on text threads, on on comments on stories, was I think folks expected uh, Seattle to, to make a lot more moves with the defensive line. They ended up drafting just two defensive linemen, starting with their first pick, uh, LJ Collier at the defensive end spot, um, and then a defensive tackle in the sixth round with what we thought was their final pick. Um And I think it was a problem of just guys flew off the board and the kind of defensive end that Seattle would have needed to replace Frank Clark just wasn't available. Or if he was available, it wasn't a guy that they clearly felt would fit their system. So um, they they took what they could. I mean, I would have – there's no way that John Schneider has a first-round grade on a guy that's available and exactly where he wants. And he thinks, you know – I'd rather have like five extra picks. I think it's. I yeah. think it was just a tough decision to make, and so um, I think also knowing that this May uh, deadline is coming up, that there could have been guys that they already know they want, that guys that they feel like might be interested in Seattle, and and they feel like in the short term they might have answers in free agency instead of the draft. Coming up in about ten minutes, we're going to look even further at what the Seahawks' biggest need remains to be after the NFL draft. Uh, That's coming up in 10 minutes from now to the college game. Washington receiving a bit of a blow to their quarterback Mm -hmm. room today with the announcement that Colson Yankoff and Jacob Sermon, both after their redshirt freshman year, have decided to enter the transfer portal, which pretty much all signs indicate they're moving on from the Washington program. The Huskies now down to three quarterbacks on their roster after this move. We're going to talk about it in Big If True later tonight. Somebody here at 710 kind of takes a little bit of an exception to these two guys looking for greener pastures, looking elsewhere for an opportunity to start in college and and continue to build that resume so they can go on and play professionally elsewhere. Takes an exception to it? I think so. Huh. So, yeah, we'll talk that coming up in about a half hour from now. But you look at the college game right now, transfers, that's just how it is, man. Like, that's nothing new, and – I don't think you can get mad at anybody for transferring away from a program if they look at the depth chart ahead of them and they see it's very much entrenched, the guys who are ahead of them. you got Jacob Eason, the big-time five-star transfer Who really most everyone is expecting to be the starter. Yeah, and And Jacob Hayner, who seems to be a favorite of the coaching staff as well. Uh, There's also Dylan Morris, who's with Washington right now. He's probably going to be the third-string quarterback now after the transfer of Yankoff and Sermon, but... I mean, the Husky program, even with these two guys looking elsewhere, they still have talent at the quarterback spot. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear our big If True segment because from my point of view, it's it's just a busy, crowded room, and, and you know that you're not even second. And, yeah. And you know that uh, your time's running out. If you're a quarterback, you want to be on the field. If you decide to transfer, you already have time that's taken out while you're in that process. So... Um, it's it's hard not to feel like you'd also make this move if you were in their shoes. Yes, it's not great for Washington as far as their quarterback situation. Jake Heaps, uh, who was on with me last night, this news broke uh, towards the end of our final segment. And uh, so, so he was talking about that and said, 
kind of the same thing. You know, you, you get where they're coming from. At the same time, Washington, uh, you know, it's a little risky for them. Like, they could they find themselves in a position where um, suddenly the quarterback depth just isn't there at all? So, yeah, you have Eason, who's been really promising. But what happens if he's injured? Suddenly, yeah. is this program just completely, uh, you know, find themselves in the middle of nowhere. And it's not a good spot to be in, obviously, but you look at it from another angle, Yankoff and Sermon, the the clock is ticking on their mm-hmm. college eligibility. With each day, there's less and less college time they have left. So they're trying to maximize it. I don't blame them one well, bit. Well, and the guy who's fighting for it is the guy that transferred. Yeah, Jacob That's the Eason. thing, too. I mean, clearly like, it worked out for him. So they're exactly. seeing an example of someone that it wasn't working out for him at Georgia, so he transferred uh, you know, back to his home state, back to Washington, and and is now the presumed starter and uh, kind of entrenched there. And so I think they're thinking, like, well, hey, like clearly this worked for someone, and you know he's fine. So uh, Mariners making a roster move today, optioning Malik Smith to AAA Tacoma. He had been their starting center fielder for much of the season's first month, but it has been a rough go of it for Smith out in center field, not just at the bat hitting below 200. I believe he's only hitting about 156, but also with the glove dropping, routine pop-ups, routine fly balls. Mariners in his place have recalled local guy Braden Bishop, former Husky, uh, very well known in the community around here for sure. And he's also the number 11 prospect in the Mariners' system out of their top 30 it's been a really rough go of it from Alex Smith, and hopefully this is a move that can get his head on straight for the seasons, for the remaining months in the season because he's a guy that was brought in not just for 2019, but I think he was a building block, somebody that they had targeted as yeah. somebody who they were going to have be their starting center fielder for years to come, and unfortunately it has not worked out that way, but there's still a long Long time left here in the season. Yeah, one of three players introduced to the media during the Mariners' uh, media session with us earlier this year, along with J.P. Crawford and Justin Sheffield, uh, and they seemed very excited about him. And I think that the kind of attitude that Scott Service wanted to instill in that clubhouse is the kind of attitude that Malik Smith brought. He was someone who uh, folks in the media instantly thought, oh, my God, what a great interview, um, lots of personality. And if you're in sports, that's the kind of conversation. That's the kind of person that you're thinking, like, yes, I will get a quote from that person. This person will be uh, open. And I think a brush a breath of fresh air for uh, something like a baseball clubhouse. Um, so, yeah, I think you see something like this and you hope that he's just able to catch up. I know he was injured through spring training. Um, so maybe this is just a matter of, you know, being behind the eight ball a little bit. Yeah, he um, didn't have a, a spring yeah. training really to get up to speed this year, kind of thrown in from being injured all throughout spring training to the top of the Mariners lineup, yeah. which that's not easy for anybody to go through. So hopefully this is the, the right medicine for Smith to cure these woes that he has had over the season's first month. Some other things on tonight's timeline. ESPN the magazine shutting it shutting down after 21 years of publication. Luckily, though, it sounds like most people who were writing for the magazine will be grandfathered into ESPN.com. It's just such a bummer. It is. It, it is. is. Another, I know another that this is the way that a lot of print publications are going, but it really does. Yeah, like Sports Stop. Illustrated is another one that a lot of people, myself included, grew up reading, and there's talk that they may end their publication. They've already trimmed down their yearly distribution in half, so instead of a weekly magazine, it's biweekly now, so who knows what that's going to be like in the future. I think I'm still okay knowing that the stories are still being written and still being shared and that having them online just lets uh, 
lets them be easily shared and and accessed. But um, yeah, there's just something about it shutting down that feels like not the end of an era, but just just a sad kind of another wave of of closures there. Yeah. Um. Also, last night. A Dude, guy this who, is your beat right a, now. I know a guy who I've been like following very closely. You need to, you have a you are a fanboy. Yeah. Because I I feel like Jeopardy is a game show that I would have a blast on. Not not saying I would win or anything, but like I would definitely have a lot of I don't fun think with. you would lose. Well, I mean the nicest thing I've ever said to that you. That is, that is. <laughs> Thank you, Stacy. Thank you. But James Holzhauer, this guy who has just been blowing people out of the water, he's won eighteen straight episodes, but he had his closest call yet, what only happened? winning by eighteen dollars. Whoa! Yeah, that is. I have more money than that. Yeah, <laughs> I have more. Money I than have eighteen dollars. Yeah, I could get you that right now if you want me well, to. No, I would have to take out a loan. I yeah. <laughs> we do. Can I? Do you have change? Yeah, our payday's Friday, right? So you gotta yes. Get, okay. Give fr- me some I can time. get you that Friday. Give me some time. So I can wait, get what? It to you did he Friday. miss out on a ton of questions? What was the deal? No, the guy he was going up against just had a super he smart. He got hot as well. Man. Yeah. See, he started picking up on it. Exactly. That's and he the was thing. Like, I see what you're doing. When, I see that your trick now. When you're so public about your strategy, the way this James Holzhauer fella is. Other people are going to pick up on it, That's the thing. James is Seattle's 2013 squad. Other people started to look at that, and they said, we see what you're doing here. We need to mimic this. Not only are we going to try to mimic it, but now we have the blueprint for how to beat you, Mm. and you see what happens. So maybe he's going to have to start thinking, playing like 40 chess here. Yes. He needs to step up. Like to the streets. And that brings us... (laughs) To the end of this segment. There we go. So, <laughs> the Seahawks, they still have a little bit of work to do in this offseason. What do you think is their biggest need following the 2019 NFL Draft? We answer that next. Curtis Rogers and Seahawks insider Stacy Rost here. Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can listen to Seattle Sports at Night via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers, Curtis Rogers and Stacy Rost, here with you on this Tuesday night, creeping towards Wednesday morning, which is the halfway point of the week. So shout I feel out like we all. never leave. No, we're just kind of always here. What if we died? I mean, that's real. You know what deep. I'm saying? Like, like have, when's like, the last time the you think life? you left? No, 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 no. I mean, like in the others, you think about it, they don't realize they're dead, but they're always Ooh. stuck in the house. What if, what if work is heaven? <laughs> what if this is more like a, like a good place situation where we're just all kind of here? And none of us realize that we've died. I know that they hey, know they died there, but I'm just saying, like, we don't know for sure. This is so wild. Like, I think wasn't, about it. I wasn't ready to think. I know that you think way. you're going to leave the building and go home and get Taco Bell, but what if you aren't, Curtis? Oh, no. No. That's <laughs> like, that's my one redeeming hope I about being up this I want you guys to know like, that's how all many times when Curtis and I are both on, I don't know why this doesn't happen with Jake. Maybe because he eats so much healthier yeah, than we do. Yeah, he's probably like eating he's, like kale milk. He's probably like my stuff. body is a temple, and yeah. we're like, look at the Taco Bell menu yeah, now, dude. Yeah. <laughs> They've got nacho tacos. We talk about nowadays. Taco Bell so much. Oh man, okay. but I, I bet the people who are up listening to us right now, for sure, they they enjoy the Taco Bell talk. Yeah, we're talking Bell. 
on oh. Seattle Sports. That's a podcast within a podcast. Yes, it is. Talking Bell. And on... it makes me think we definitely need a Taco Bell podcast. Or we need just um, a fast food podcast. Yes. We're million dollar idea. Look, we, we're on it. Yeah, no one out there can copy that. We've got it locked down. Okay? So just forget, forget, you know what? I wish there was a way to delete this, but I regret saying it. <laughs> so the Seahawks. We'll do honor code. Yeah, exactly. Scouts honor. Capiche. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the Seahawks, they have finished their draft 11 picks in total, which I don't think anybody expected them to no come away way. with that kind of haul after entering the week up to the draft, which yeah. is four. They finished with 11 picks. I saw it today, I believe, uh, shout out to the Seahawks Reddit. Somebody posted that the Seahawks, the only pick that was theirs originally all the way through the start of the season. It was like 124. Yeah, it was the Phil Housley pick. Or not Phil Housley, Phil, Phil Haynes. Haynes pick. Phil Housley's a former NHL player. Yeah. Phil Haynes, uh, that pick, and I believe of the other 10 picks that they had, they belonged to a, a cumulatively like 17 different teams. Which is wild. I didn't see that on Twitter, but on day three, I was looking down at my notes, and um, there had just been lots of like X's and crossing things out when picks got traded. And I think all that was left was just that one, yeah, like the one twenty four, whatever overall pick. Because even twenty nine, they used a first round pick, but it was the one they got from Kansas City. Yeah. So you look at what the Seahawks got in their draft class this year. I mean, with eleven guys, that is that is just a ton of, of guys just coming into your program. Uh, right out of the gates. But then you look at what they got and what the roster looks like now. Is there any hole or any box left unchecked after the draft? And if so, what is that biggest, what is that box in your mind? Yeah, I think there's certainly still, I think that this team had a lot of depth issues heading into the draft and there was no way that you were going to be able to I said this to Jake yesterday. There's no way you are going to be able to replace Frank Clark in this draft. You were selecting at 21 overall. You know you needed to get some more picks at 29. Clearly the player that they had their first round grade on um, or their highest grade on was LJ Collier at that time. And that pick doesn't necessarily replace Clark. He's a bit of a different defensive end, uh, more of like a Michael Bennett style on that strong side. But um yeah, so you, the needs that you have didn't quite match up with what was available. In some places it did. You you might need a wide receiver there, and you're looking at depth there. Well, they picked up three and then uh, signed at least an additional one receiver in undrafted free agency. Um, linebacker, a situation where, you know, you have a ton of guys there now, but last year you were looking at a problem, and then they drafted two. You've got a ton of special teams help. The one area that you... Um, weren't really able to stock up on was your defensive line. And and part of that is just that those guys were sliding off the board. Um, so is that you making the wrong picks or is it just not having the draft capital to begin with? Because, yes, you turned four picks into 11, but it came at a cost. It came at yeah. sliding into later rounds. You can still find great picks there, but it was such a stacked defensive line class that a lot of those guys went early. Um, a lot of offensive guys weren't even taken off the board until the second round. Um, so I think that that edge rusher position that Frank Clark was holding down remains a need. Um, you know, maybe Cassius Marsh surprises people. Maybe someone like Jacob Martin steps up and surprises people. And maybe they see something that other folks don't. Or maybe they're turning to free agency to do that. 
and maybe we'll have a clearer answer about this team in a week after that May 7 deadline when, when they can sign guys like Ansa um, or Perry or, or, or other guys on that D-line without losing a comp pick. For right now, though, fielding that question, I'm saying absolutely no. You still have holes there, and I think the defensive line as a whole is probably your biggest it, unanswered thing still. One thing that you mentioned there was when the Seahawks went and got uh, two inside linebackers, mm-hmm. Cody Barton and Ben Burkirvin, and how people look at him like, well, you've already got Bobby Wagner and Michael Kendricks and, and K.J. Wright and all these guys that play inside. Like maybe you're loading up on, on on one thing, but I look at it in a way where you can never have too much of one thing in the NFL because you look at the guys already on the yeah. Seahawks roster on the inside linebacker spot. KJ Wright's health is still a question mark in 2019, even though he did come back and play in the playoff game uh, and and balled out and had an amazing game against the Cowboys. There's still questions: Can he put together a full 16 game schedule again? in his career. Michael Kendricks, his legal status still up in the air. Yeah. We find that out, I believe in July, um, his sentencing. And now you've got Cody Barton there, Ben Burkirvin, who are untested, who haven't played in the NFL before, but at least you've got bodies there. You've got yeah. Austin Calitro on that sort of that next tier. You don't have like street linebacker. free agents that you're signing no. last minute. You've had guys you've been able to watch tape and put in you've your system. A bit. Yeah. yeah. Have them go through an entire off season or hopefully go through an entire off season. But I look at the Seahawks roster now and I didn't really spotlight the position I'm about to say at all in the lead up to the draft because you look at the top two candidates, it's Chris Carson and it's Rashad Penny. And those guys are locks to make the roster. But beyond that at running back, CJ Proseis, you you can never count on. Like I'm, I'm sorry, but like he has proven to be unreliable in his health and, and being available on Sundays. They don't have Mike Davis anymore. JD McKissick, I believe, is no longer listed as a running back on that team. They go out and get Travis Homer in the seventh round, somebody who could possibly make the team or or at least play special teams for them. But beyond Carson and Penny you don't know who that third running back is going to be. And even though the Seahawks have shown a lot of dedication to the passing game this offseason, locking up Russell Wilson for four extra years, drafting three wide receivers, and spending a second-round pick mm-hmm. on maybe the most physically gifted receiver in the entire draft, like, yeah, you're showing an, an importance to the passing game, but Pete Carroll, at, in his heart of hearts, is still – in love with the run game. That is how he will still call games. Like, I don't think the Seahawks are going to completely abandon the run game. No, I think that they'll even out a bit more. I don't think you're going to – I think that in their ideal world, you won't see a team that that passes the ball only 46% of the time. I'm sure they would love it to be closer to 50-50, but I don't think that just because you're paying Russell Wilson $35 million a year, you you suddenly say, all right, do with it what you will. <laughs> like, yeah. your call, dude. So – with when you spotlight edge rusher being that position that the Seahawks are still in need of, if they don't go out and get one of these guys of Ziggy Ansah or Nick Perry's caliber, is there enough currently on the roster to put you at ease? Um, not right now. If I'm a fan and I'm looking at the roster, there's a lot of question marks, but. What I will say is I think this is more reflective of just the average camp. 
Like, I think that uh, what the Seahawks had that people constantly um, compare it to in like a 2013, uh, 2012, 13, 14 is not normal. Yeah. That, <laughs> For the league, you don't see that kind of the depth. The depth on those two years' ball clubs is unmatched on a historical level across th- yeah. the entire NFL. I think this is much more reflective of most teams, especially if they have a franchise quarterback. Most teams will have a ton of cap invested in their quarterback, and then maybe you have a star on defense, or if you're someone like New England, maybe you have like your tight end, you have some kind of other star. And then the other places are just areas where you try to find cheap talent or you try to find someone that, that surprises. And um, you look at their starting running back, Chris Carson, who was a seventh-round pick. And when he came into camp initially, I think folks were looking at even Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls um, getting the star over him. And and Carson didn't, I mean, he was talked about through camp. People were really impressed, um, but didn't really, it was the same game he got injured against the Colts in week four was the same game where people thought, okay, wait a minute, this guy could be starting for this team and he could be the guy going forward. And it was just a very kind of untimely um, accident, but uh, that being said, I think that there are certainly guys on this roster that that in that vein can surprise you. I think that there are guys with some upside. Um, and I'm certainly interested in seeing, uh, you know, I don't think that this is a draft. I no longer think you can look at any front office and say they have secrets everyone doesn't. And they secretly get it. I think that like a 2012 draft is rare. I think it's rare you yes. can find multiple all-pro players and pro bowlers in, in one or two back-to-back classes. That's not because people aren't talented. It's just it's not common. The, those those players chances, in general are rare. Those player, Getting those kinds of players in your program, just one on its own in a draft yes. class, is incredibly rare. To get three yeah. in your first three picks is wild. Yeah. And what I will say about Seattle's front office is that I do think that they are able to find guys with – the highest amount of upside at the lowest cost, if that makes sense. Yeah. I do think that they've got that down. I think they've been able to find guys where they think, you know, we can make this work. And, you know, look, you look at a guy like Carroll who tries to tailor his system as much as he can and his instructions and, and the way he coaches as much as he can to suit uh, someone's individual talents. Um, so they're an organization that system is, is best fit to work with those kinds of guys. What is the Seahawks' biggest need remaining now that the draft is over? Text that in to Coors Light, text line 710-710. You can also hit us up on Twitter, at a kid from Kent, at Stacey Ross. Make sure you're following us. We won't us tell there. you who's who, though. Yeah, you're going to have to figure that one out on your own. <laughs> Coming up next, the Huskies getting some transition at the quarterback position. Colson Yankoff, Jacob Sermon, Entering the transfer portal, someone here on 710 has some feelings about that. It's not me. And it's not me. It may actually be somebody who played for the Huskies, which narrows it down a lot. It's either Danny or Brock. And one of them played for the Huskies, (laughs) so you can figure out which one. Uh, But we unpack what Brock Heward had to say about the transfer of Colson Yankoff and Jacob Sermon. That's coming up next. Big If True right here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. About 15 minutes from now here on Seattle Sports at Night. Four down territory as we wrap up every first hour. 
Doug Baldwin, his future's up in the air. Seahawks, they've drafted three wide receivers. What does this mean for the future of one incumbent wide receiver on the Seahawks roster? We answered that. Coming up in about 15 minutes in another edition of Four Down Territory, Curtis Rogers, Seahawks insider Stacey Rost here with you for about the next half hour on Seattle Sports Tonight. Stacey, before the break, you were wondering, of the two, because I said yeah. Danny O'Neill and Brock Heward, did both of them play for UW? Now there, there is a former Pac-12 quarter or former Pac-10 quarterback around the era in which Danny O'Neill was in college, named Danny O'Neill. Okay, but then tell me what this is, Curtis. Okay, Danny O'Neill does have his head football shot. player with a picture of our Danny O'Neill, but, and it says he's a former American football quarterback. But and it's that the same Danny age. O'Neill went to the University of Oregon, which is a school that we all know Danny is on record as hating more than anybody. Okay. Well, Maybe that could be a facade. I think he's for, trying to throw us off his tail. I think until about 15 minutes ago, I thought that Danny O'Neill, our Danny O'Neill, one time at some point in his college career just, was just, the quarterback for UW. Got it. Got five wide set under shotgun. I'm not or, kidding. Yeah? Really? No, I'm not kidding. That's unbelievable. When I Google Danny O'Neill, it's his picture. Why would I not think that? Mm. It's big if true. I'm going to send this to him. It's big if true, which is very fitting because we're at that point in the show where it's time for some big if true. And if you haven't been heard or if you haven't heard today, well, the Huskies, their quarterback room got a little smaller today. Colson Yankoff, Jacob Sermon, both entering the transfer portal today and with expectations that they will leave the program. Well, Brock Heward, a confirmed former Husky quarterback, he had some thoughts on the transfers of both of those guys, so that brings us to tonight's Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did, did he, he say, say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Tonight's Big If True coming to us from the Prince of Puyallup. Prince of Puyallup? Yeah. <laughs> the... One half of Brock and Salk, the Brock portion of Brock and Salk. That'd be Brock Heward, uh, a former Husky quarterback, talking about the Husky quarterback transfers and how he feels about these guys moving on from the program. Here's what Brock had to say. If I was advising Jacob Sermon, I would say I, I would just slow just a second. You've got Eason and you got Hayner, and I realize you were a distant third when it came to reps this spring. Are you assured that Jacob Eason is going to be the guy and stay healthy all season long? Or could this be up and down like a lot of his career has been? And if so, then it's, are you sure you don't think you can push Jake Hayner? You think you, I know the reps were horrible this spring. I get it. I, I imagine there's immense frustration. And if I'm in your shoes as a four-star guy in a, in a big-time town and you're 6'4 and you can throw it 70 yards and Jake Hayner is, boy, howdy size, I understand your frustration. But there is something a little bit about patience because once you leave, man, the grass is not always greener on the other side. So 
I think both of those are differing situations, and both of them looking for well, massive more opportunities. And they is there any here. element of accountability on the coaching staff? Uh, here? Yes. When they took two yes. four-star quarterbacks in yes. the same class, it stands to and reason that at least one of them was. Oh, you knew be that one out. of them was going to leave. There's no question about that. Especially when Jacob Eason comes back, you knew that. But I do think this reflects on Bush Hamden, a guy that I've been a, a bit critical of. Yeah, and I think his leading leadership and his guidance and just his youth. In inexperience as well. Yes, I think that there's a portion of that that certainly uh, falls under his watch as well. When Brock said he's boy howdy size, mm. I almost interrupted it by laughing. <laughs> Just which so would casually mean, threw it out yeah, there. Which would mean that he's not a very tall person. If Danny O'Neill showed us anything, it's that you don't have to be really tall to be a college quarterback. <laughs> Well, yeah, because our Danny O'Neill is about what five five. No, five, Danny's six? taller than five five. Five seven. No, Danny's probably like five, like five eight or five nine. No. Yes. He is not five nine. Curtis, yes, he is. I don't believe it. I'm short. I know when someone's close to my height because people always think I'm shorter than five two. So I know five five. It's Danny's only three not, inches taller than. Danny's me. not seven inches taller than you. Well. <laughs> Big if true. Well, we we know what we need to see tomorrow morning. I'm bringing in measuring tape. Let's get back to the task at hand here. And Brock mentions that he would pull Jacob Sermon aside of the two and tell him, hey, look, like there's no guarantees ahead of you. Like Jacob Eason has durability concerns. Jacob Hayner has a noodle arm. And like you could very well find yourself starting at some point over the next couple of years right. at Washington. My counter to him is this. In college football, very few times does a team actually get down to its third quarterback at any point in the season. Yeah. If you're down to your third quarterback, something has gone terribly wrong. And the chances of Washington getting down to that at some point this year, I think are very slim. Very slim. And... If you're Jacob Sermon or Colson Yankoff and you've seen over the last few years guys who have transferred and have gone on to have great success elsewhere, you look at the last two Heisman Trophy winners, the last two number one overall picks, both transfer quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, he loses two career games at the University of Alabama, still not good enough to win the starting job, and he won a national championship as well. He's decided to transfer. You, you look at so many guys over the last couple of years in, in college football move on from Gardner Minshew, mm-hmm. another guy. I was going to mention him as someone, a local person who transferred in and to Washington State. You look at the guy who many people point to who's going to be the starter at Washington yeah. this year, Jacob Eason, a transfer. So to sit here and, and say that you know the the best path for you is going to continue to wait it out at Washington when there's nothing guaranteed for you. Whereas let's say you go to a smaller school or, or still stay in a power five conference and go to another program where they are going to promise you starter reps after you sit out this red shirt season that every transfer has to go through, which is is still complete idiocy on the NCAA's part. If coaches can move willy nilly, students should have these same ability to do so but if they can find a spot where their talents are going to be used and where they can go out and and become the quarterback that they thought they were going to be at the college level 
I have no problem with that. Not a single issue with them getting out from a situation where they feel like it's a dead end. Yeah, no, I don't either. And I think I think Brock's opinion here, there's good intention behind it, which is that uh, you want to be able to give someone good invi- good advice and to say, don't just look at the stories that have worked. Take a step back and, and look at the folks that made the wrong decision in doing this and look at the folks that overestimated how ready they were to do this and then transferred, took that year off, and then ultimately lost out when they could have had an opportunity there. But again, I think when you're the third, fourth guy in that situation, even if you may not be ready to take a starting role elsewhere, it's not going to happen here. And I again, I think it's just – I think that sometimes in college sports um, – And this isn't fair of me to say in response to someone who used to be a college athlete. So it's not it's not that I'm disagreeing with Brock. I'm just saying that I think sometimes we have these conversations and uh, we forget kind of how little power a student athlete might have in this situation. If you're a quarterback for a program um, that what might be in the best interest of the program might not be in the best interest of the student. Exactly. And, you know, it's you're always going to take a risk when you decide to transfer somewhere else. And to say, well, I'm going to avoid all risk and I'm going to stay here and this is a good program, all of that can be true. It is less risky to stay there. It is a great program. But is it the best fit for you? And how will you know if you don't test the waters elsewhere? And you're only really going to get one shot to do that because you have to take that year off. So I get that it's risky. Yeah, very few people are able to transfer twice in their right. college career if the, the second time doesn't work out. Right, but I think it's just I, I think it's just a little unfair. And I think that especially with college sports, and this gets under my skin a little bit, I think that we just forget how how much we dictate for athletes and 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 how hard it is to to make those decisions when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. And at the same time that for a lot of these kids, you might not think that he can be a star athlete in the NFL, but he wants a shot to try to go where he can. And it's not up to you to decide for him whether that's a bad idea. All it takes is one shot. Coming up <laughs> next, it is four down territory time as we wrap it up on this Tuesday night. Rookie minicamp for the Seahawks. So this weekend, so which rookie will you be watching the closest at minicamp? We answer that question next. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. This, this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got deep, deep, deep. Four Down Territory as we wrap things up here on this Tuesday night. Shout out to you for stopping by, making us a part of your evening it's not really evening. It's your it's your late night. <laughs> a part of your early morning. Yeah, a part of your waking up, a part of your... You know, shout out to the people working midnight shifts. Yes, yeah, security guards. Shout out to truck drivers. Everybody who's up going to work at this hour. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not. But we're here for you. Stacy. Curtis. Let's get to four down territory. Number, Number one. First down... Four opportunities to put seven on the board. Last night I heard you only did three down. We did, but we took a we took a long time. We were very efficient. Yeah, we ate up a lot of yardage you with first up a, down. A deep ball on first down, and well, no, that would just bring another first down. That's true. Never mind. 
You we picked ate up like up, seven or eight we yards. We picked up seven or eight on first down, and then we just took two stabs on the ground. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Ran into the line of scrimmage, but it's okay. <laughs> first down with Doug Baldwin's future up in the air and the Seahawks drafting three wide receivers. You look at the guys currently on the roster, the veteran guys in here, and, and specifically Jaron Brown or Jaron Brown. What do you think of Jaron Brown's future with the Seahawks after these moves will get made? Um, I think had I not heard an interview that Pete Carroll had uh, earlier this year on 710 ESPN, I would have said, I think that was with John Clayton, um, I would have said, oh, not great news. And, you know, you've got a lot of guys coming in, and a lot of them are cheap, and they're young, and they're fast, and they bring a lot of talent with them. They're physical dudes, and all of a sudden your job uh, especially is at risk. And um, But Pete Carroll earlier with Clayton said, uh, and granted, he also said they were pretty happy with the wide receiver position, so clearly they weren't psyched about it if they ended up drafting three guys. But he said that they wish they would have used Jerome Brown more, that he was incredibly efficient looking back at the tape. Uh, he made the most of what he had, and, and he would have liked uh, Brown to see more targets because Brown, I think, only had like 19 targets. He had an incredibly low number of targets. So um, I think that it it doesn't signal the end of Brown's career by any means. I think if Brown has a tremendous camp, by all means, he's he's totally fine. I think at this point, it's on Brown, and just like it is on any of these guys, it's going to be a really competitive camp. Seahawks would save about $3 million in cap space. Yeah, but if he can prove try. that he, yeah. if he can turn his, he had a really high number of touchdowns and receptions for the targets he got. It's hard to say much about that when it's such a low sample size, but if you can show that you can do that with a bigger sample size, if you can show that you can haul in most of the targets that come your way and you can uh, score regularly and you can be reliable, you make yourself indispensable. You make yourself worth $3 million. Number two. Second down here, four down territory, J.D. McKissick. Currently not listed as a running back on the Seahawks website. Neither am I. That's true, actually. Yeah. Neither am I. None of us are. I think it's rude. Yeah. Like, I I can get between the tackles. Yeah. Like, what, you think I can't carry a ball? Okay. Bounce it outside? Yeah. Come on now. Whatever. So, with J.D. McKissick currently not listed as a running back, no Mike Davis, C.J. Procise, his durability, a huge concern. What's the likelihood of seventh-round pick Travis Homer making the 50 or the sixth round pick Travis Homer making the 53 man roster I think he's got a shot I would not have said that had I not uh, talked about him with Jake yesterday during the show we broke down all 11 of the Seahawks draft picks and 11 all 11 man I know and uh, before Homer it was before the break so we were getting into the final four picks and I said hey we don't have to take a ton of time on these I want to be able to wrap it up at the end so like if you only have a little bit of say about like uh, you know, like Homer or whatever, that's fine. He was like, oh, actually, I have a lot to say. Yeah, you know Jake. Yeah. Jake's, Jake's got <laughs> Jake a lot had, to say. Jake about... had a notebook open in front yeah. of him, ready to talk about it. But I think he was genuinely intrigued by him. Thought he was a really physical runner, uh, a really interesting guy, a little tiny bit undersized, but um, could potentially fill that like versatile running back role. So I had no opinion. And then Jake said that. And now... I'm kind of curious, and mm. I think they're absolutely, if mm. you're just looking at the roster itself, there's definitely space for him there. Number three. Third down. Got to get my numbers right. There you go. Which Seahawks draft pick are you most intrigued by? They made 11, so you got a lot I know, to pick I know. I have a lot of choices. Hmm. I think Marquise Blair. 
Um, he is someone who, when he had our phone conference with us afterward, I probably could have transcribed it in five minutes. He, I believe he said, I think 100, 126 words It was, total. he was not, he was polite. Like he wasn't rude at all, but just very like, yep, yes, sir. Nope. Mm-mm. I saw the stat, Cody Barton, who was the third round pick. His first answer was 151 words. Yeah. So, so his this, first answer was longer than Marquis Blair's He was not a long-winded guy. Um, so so initially, I didn't have a lot to go on. But I think the way that, that Pete Carroll and John Schneider talk about him, he's not playing the same position as Earl Thomas. But he's almost got like one of those like unique mentalities. The way that they talk about him. I didn't watch a lot of his college tape. Um, and I didn't watch a lot of those games uh, I didn't watch a lot of Utah games in general, so so I was going off of everything that they were talking about. But they were so psyched with his his aggressiveness and just how um, focused he is on getting that tackle, getting that hit, a really hard hitter. And I think this is like Pete Carroll's dream safety for his system. He loves really like aggressive, fast guys, hard hitters, um, and and they do want him playing closer to the line of scrimmage. So that's more of like a strong safety, but he's equally versatile, which is what they love with Bradley McDougald. So I think that this fits their system. They love versatility. They love guys they can use at a lot of places, and more than anything, they love guys with the attitude um, that they think really matters on the field. And Marquise Blair seems like he has a unique one, but that's certainly what they loved with Earl Thomas, too. Number four. All right, now we're on to fourth down. I have a unique personality. Yeah, you do. Can't disagree with you on that. Okay, good. It's what it's what everybody tells us. Yeah, after they meet you, they just, yeah. Stacey has a... She's very uh, unique. She has, she's unique. It sounds like an insult <laughs> yeah. when you say it like that. I, after I said he's a unique guy, immediately I was like, I mean that in a good way, and it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> so the rookie minicamp this weekend over at Seahawks headquarters, which rookie will you be watching the closest? And it, you, you don't have to limit it to the draft okay. picks. There could be undrafted oh, guys as well. I am gonna I am gonna do a draft pick. Okay. Um, it, it would be Blair, but I I think that like almost everyone else there, I will probably be watching DK Metcalf. Yes, that was the what my answer was answer. gonna be. Because you look at his measurables at the it's combine, unreal. Like this dude's a video game character. We are so similar in that way, yeah. And at the same time, so different because he is five of me, and this is a receiver that the Seahawks haven't really managed to hit on. It's like when they first got Jimmy Graham, right? Yeah. Like. People didn't know yet whether he was a fit for the system and had doubts. But when he came in, whatever you thought, your eyes were on him because the Seahawks just hadn't had someone like that before. That's kind of like DK Metcalf. Someone that comes in and you think, I don't know if Russell Wilson has had a target exactly like this. He's had guys that are incredibly efficient and and great, perfect receivers for him in that system. Guys like Doug Baldwin, who was his number one receiver for years. And then uh, DK Metcalf just kind of brings a different vibe that I think people... I don't know. I think when you think of watching football, it's just one of those fun players. You're curious to see how it plays out. He is 100% the guy you want first off the bus. Oh, a, when to, like intimidate game. people? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. See, I played sports, but we didn't really think about that. We didn't really think about like getting like, in the who opponent's to, who head. To, who to put first off the bus. To Obviously, like, oh, if we did, God. it wasn't me. You know what? <laughs> Come to think of it, we might have had these conversations. <laughs> And I was never a part of it. They were like, no, no, man. Yeah, well, Put her in the back. Put Stacey. Let's just, just maybe leave her on the bus. She's the water girl. Yeah. yeah. 
That is another edition of Four Down Territory here on Seattle Sports at Night. Make sure you're downloading the Seattle Sports at Night podcast on 710sports.com. Also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play there too. So, I mean, there's no excuse for you to not be downloading and giving us a five-star rating. Uh, So make sure you're checking that out. That's going to do it for us here tonight. We will be back with you tomorrow following the Mariners postgame show as they wrap up their series against the Chicago Cubs at T-Mobile Park. So for Stacey Ross, I am Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.